Well, good morning, church family. It's good to be here with you. Obviously, I'm not Pastor Sam. Uh, he's not here with us this morning. He'll be back with us next week. And, uh, but we will be continuing his series today. And let me just tell you, I know he's not here and whatnot, but they sure do love you. Pastor Sam and Brenda, they really do. And every time I get a chance to say it, you know, when you read the scriptures, you get to John chapter 10, and it's talking about Jesus being the good shepherd and the, the shepherds, uh, pastors who are shepherds need to model what Jesus does. And Jesus is a shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And if you have good pastors, they will lay their lives down for you and they will love you. And I'm telling you, I see all kinds of pastors, all different places, good, bad, in between. But I'm telling you, the greatest thing I appreciate is the love. When, when shepherds love the sheep that they're given to, to serve, that's the most important thing to me. And I tell you, Pastor Sam and Brenda, they sure do love you. And, uh, and, and you should be thankful for that. You should be grateful that they love you. So they'll be back with you next week. Okay, let's just talk about stuff. The hair, all right? Okay. Yeah, come on, I know. Okay, if you are like super new to Grand Rapids First, you might not know that I usually have kept my hair short. Uh, and my kids have only known me since when they've been old enough. They've never known me with longer hair. If you find uh, pictures of me from days past, Corden Tuttle, don't, wherever he is. If you ever find pictures of me from back then, you'll see that my hair was longer and curly and, every, and not gray back then. Trent was like, uh, if you get to live long enough to get gray hair, I'm thinking, brother, I'm already there. It's not going to take long. It's called parenting teenage children. That's what gives it to you right there. But my kids never knew me in person. They've seen pictures of me, but they never really knew. My kiddos and, of course, my work kids who are over here, and some of them are over here, uh, they also have never seen me that way either. So there began to be this, hey, Dad, would you please grow your hair out? We want to see what it looks like. And I'm thinking, it's gray hair now. Gray hair doesn't cooperate like dark hair used to. If I let this hair grow, is it, am I just going to look like Don King? That's what I was afraid of. I really thought that's where we could go. And so I thought, okay, I'll start letting it grow. And what I did, here's what I did not anticipate. I'm standing on the front row, and all of a sudden, my phone starts going off. And it isn't my kids or anything. It's some of y'all in the congregation watching my hair. Like They're like, yeah, we like that hair and so forth. And... Uh, so that's why I grew it out. I'm getting suggestions that I should let it keep going and do dreads. That ain't going to happen. That's not happening. Um, somebody said I should let it grow and do a mullet. That ain't happening. I know mullets are kind of coming back a little bit, but they're not coming back on this head. So I think this might be about it. So that's the hair. And um, so it grew out, it curled and everything like that, but I'm not going to push it too much or I will look like Don King. That's not cool. That's not cool. So that's that. So pastor's been in the series called Wonderful about heaven. And uh, when, when President Trent was up talking about uh, two of our saints from this church family going to heaven, one was Bill Dumas. He was one of our, one of my celebrate recovery leaders. And I was not at celebrate this past Tuesday, but I was the Tuesday before. And then Always love Bill, give Bill a hug. We're always teasing one another, not knowing that and the way that Bill did it too was right. He just closed his eyes and went to sleep. And when he opened his eyes, there he was on the other side. You know, that's, that's the way to go. And uh, Kay Lask as well. And I was thinking about, as we're doing the series on heaven, what they're experiencing right now. The fulfillment of everything that they've lived for, and pastors been talking about what heaven is like, at least what we know, at least what we can ascertain from the scriptures. I don't think anything that scripture can tell us is going to compare to what it's actually going to be like, because you had human authors who were writing about things that they could not fully comprehend. They're seeing it, but they can't see it in all its fullness. But Bill is seeing it today, and Kay is seeing it today, and so many others. And so if you've not been a part of this series, you've got to go back, check out from, from part one when Pastor started it. And then last week, he started the first half of this message. So he did Revelation and Review. And if you don't have one of those, I don't know how many more of those brochures we have left, but hopefully you've got it with you because we're gonna, we've got a ton to go through uh, on this brochure this morning. So I'm going to be moving like wildfire through some of it because there are a lot of blanks that we have to fill in. 
And so I'm going to be doing part two of it. It's broken up into three acts, if you see on that brochure. And Pastor Sam covered act one. We're going to do act two and three together this morning. I'll tell you, it's going to be a tour de force this morning for us to do it. So when, uh, when, I, was a, when I was a kiddo, uh, in the early 70s, there was this, this series of movies that came out. Some of you have heard me say this before. It was about end time stuff. Way back in the 1800s, they started doing a lot of prophecy conferences and stuff like that. And some of them were good. Some of them got into some strange stuff. Sometimes you get people who get focused on prophecy and they get so focused on it that they think they ought to sell everything and move to the top of a mountain and wait for Jesus to come back. And when he doesn't show up, things go really bad and so forth. And so there have been good prophecy things. There have been crazy prophecy things. Well, fast forward to the 1970s. They made this series of movies. I think it was called A Thief in the Night, A Distant Thunder... Um, another one, and then Prodigal Planet, Image of the Beast, that was, you know, so there are four of them. I did not see all four of them, but I remember seeing, I think it was the second one, A Distant Thunder, and I was like, you know, nine, ten years old, and wh whichever one it was, it was about uh, times in the tribulation and people who've, who've come to Christ during time of tribulation, and now they're being martyred for their faith, and I'm going to tell you what, I don't know if I had officially come to Jesus yet or not, but after I went home and after seeing that movie, I mean, I was confessing sins that other people did. I mean, it scared the fire out of me. And I, I can take you to the church where we watched it to this day, because every time I drive by the church, I think that's where I got the wits scared out of me, was in that church. And uh, then, you, then you get into the 80s, and there was, a lot, there was a lot of focus in the 70s, the late great planet Earth, and Hal Lindsey, and different other ones that were writing books and so forth, and, and movies that were coming out. I remember in the 80s, there were people were trying to figure out who the Antichrist was, and they were all focused on Revelation 13 and 666 and all that stuff. And, uh, and then I remember people saying to me, don't you think it's President Reagan because he had six letters in each of his names. It was Ronald Wilson Reagan, 666. So they were thinking, well, he must be the Antichrist. And it just got crazy stuff. And then in 88, we had the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 1988. I remember when that book came out, I was probably 18, 19 years old, and I think he had narrowed it down to somewhere in like September or October of 1988, and I remember saying to one of my friends, well, now I know when he's not coming back, because that dude just narrowed down those three dates, and Jesus is going to be like, well, no man knows the day or the hour, you don't know, so he wasn't going to come back then, and then I think he came out with, the next year was like 89 reasons why Jesus would come back in 89, I really think he did. I really think he did, so, and Jesus still didn't come back. So there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of prophetic stuff and so forth, um, and it, it's okay to be interested and okay to be focused a little bit, but we want to be focused in the right way. You know, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus is talking with his disciples, they're asking him questions about stuff that's going to happen, and I think some of that stuff probably happened when, when the temple got destroyed and Jerusalem got sacked back way back in the first century. Some of that stuff is really mysterious and cosmic and bizarre, and I don't think some of that stuff has happened yet, but Jesus is talking about you're going to be, some of y'all are going to give your lives for the faith and so forth, and there's going to be signs in the heavens and all of this stuff he's talking about. But he says to them at the end of that passage, he says, when you see all these things and everybody around you being all scared out and nervous about stuff, you look up because your redemption is drawing near. Your ultimate salvation is drawing near. And so for us, as we're looking at this stuff, I don't want you to get focused so much on detail of, of revelation that we get fixated in a bad way. The revelation is the revelation of Jesus. That's what the book of Revelation is about. It is about King Jesus, which I love that we were singing King Jesus just now. That's what Revelation is about. And so when you see all kind of crazy stuff going on, it's okay to be aware, but be people of prayer and be people who are always looking up, focused on your Lord. That's where your focus needs to be. He will be the one that's in charge of the times and the seasons and what it is that he's going to do. You be focused in on him. And so, I, in fact, I can tell you what Revelation is about. You know, we really don't have any type of books in modern America like Revelation. It's not like Tom Clancy writing a book or John Grisham or, or whatever. It's a whole different genre of writing. And we don't have anything like it. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with American culture or American writing or whatever. It's just a different genre. We don't write apocalypse. We don't watch or read that stuff. That's not how our brain works in terms of reading. We don't have a category for that. But I can, I can sum up Revelation for you very easily if you forget everything else about Revelation. And, and President Trent and I were talking about this the other day too. 
What you see in Revelation is you see a demonically inspired and led empire on the one hand. And on the other hand, you see King Jesus and his followers following him. And this demonic empire over here always seems like it's gonna, like it's always winning, it's always pressing. This side over here seems to be losing so often, but it's really not. But this side over here, it always seems to be pushing. And, and you read about the beast and all of this kind of stuff. But what the book of Revelation is about is this. This empire over here thinks it's gonna win. Well, actually it knows it's not going to, but it's gonna press as hard as it can. But Jesus always triumphs. King Jesus always triumphs. I don't know. I don't know why it is that he lets you know, the enemy have his day while he lets him get away. So I wish Jesus would just come. I can't tell you the number of times recently I've prayed, Jesus, would you just come and wind this up and wipe this stuff out? You know, uh, when I have to do people's funerals, I don't want to do those things. I want Jesus to come and put the last nail in the coffin of death once and for all. Jesus, would you come and do that? I don't know why he delays. I know it's part of his mercy because he's allowing people to come to him. But there is a, the ultimate book of Revelation summation is Jesus triumphs in the end. No matter what you see, no matter what happens, no matter what you go through, Jesus triumphs in the end. That's the, that's the easy summation of the book of Revelation. And the reality is, as we're talking about end time stuff, nobody knows for certain, okay? Pastor Sam and I have talked about this too. There's a lot of, of debate about what's going to happen in the end. There's pre-trib, there's post-trib, there's mid-trib, there's all this stuff. Pastor Sam told you he's, he's pan, everything is going to pan out. And that's actually true. You know what? I get the feeling that when Jesus finally winds everything up and brings everything to a conclusion, that we're all going to look at each other and say, boy, were we wrong about whatever, you know? So what we're going to do is we're, we're going through this review of Revelation and we're going to give you the view of this house but ultimately, it's about Jesus and what he's going to do. I'm sure he'll surprise all of us in a lot of ways when he actually comes back and winds this thing up. So we're going to jump into Act 2. If you've got that brochure, we're going to start at Act 2. You went through uh, blanks number 1 through 9. We're going to pick up at blank 10. And there are three acts. We'll do Acts 2 and 3. But you'll also notice that there's kind of like three little rows. The top row is heavenly. What's going on in a heavenly realm? The, the middle one. That's earthly stuff. We're going to be talking about tribulation type stuff today. And then the, the bottom row has to do with what about people who aren't walking with Jesus that have died and the enemy and all that kind of stuff. So just understand that that's how that's laid out. And we're going to jump in at uh, blank number 10. So Pastor Sam took you from the very beginning of everything, Genesis, all the way through to Jesus taking his people to heaven. You can pick up last week if you want to get a summation of that. I'm picking up at number 10, uh, which is this. Jesus takes his people up, and the next thing we have on the calendar there is the judgment seat of Christ. Isn't that a great way to start our time together? You're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Aren't you glad you came to church? Well, listen, this is, this is not a bad thing for believers. Paul is writing to believers and he says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we all must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the good things done while, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. There is a judgment seat of Christ. There is an accounting that we give. Now, some preachers lately, you see it in books, you can get it on their teachings. Some of them lately have been trying to make the case that what we do right now really doesn't matter. Though Even after I die, God will give me a chance. I'll be able to repent. I'll be able to get everything right because God's love is so great. He just loves everybody. He's so even after you die, if you've messed it up, if you didn't live for him, well, he'll give you another chance. And that's not what scripture says at all. Scripture says that there's appointed unto people to die one time and after that there will be a time of judgment. And that's a dangerous deception to think that I can just live my life in a way that I want to live my life and there will never be anything that I give an account for. That is a deception. But listen, this judgment seat that Paul is writing about to believers, this is not a scary time of judgment. Listen, my ultimate judgment seat already took place. The ultimate judgment seat for you and for me, if you're following Jesus, it's already taken place. 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on the cross, that was my ultimate judgment seat. John 5, 24 says, truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from, from death to life. 
My judgment seat took place 2,000 years ago, ultimately. My eternity is set. This judgment seat that Paul's writing about in Corinthians is a place of rewards. It's not a place, I'm not gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ as a follower of Jesus and wonder, am I gonna make it? Am I going to get in? Am I not gonna get in? I already know where I stand with him. It is a place of reward for us. It is a place where God wants to brag on you. Actually, he wants to brag on what he's done in and through you. That's what this judgment seat is about. But it is a time to take into account what kind of rewards will I get? What will be said to me at that judgment seat? 1 Corinthians 13, or 3, 10 through 15 talks about building your life and ministry using stuff that endures or stuff that doesn't endure. Because here's the deal. Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians and he says to the Corinthian believers, the foundation is Jesus. There is no other foundation. Once that foundation of Jesus Christ has been laid, that's the foundation. It's immovable, unchangeable. But what will you build on top of that foundation? Because what you build on top of the foundation has to be compatible with the foundation. So here's what the Apostle Paul writes in verses 13 through 15. He says, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So it is possible as followers of Jesus to have a foundation of Jesus and build with all kinds of the wrong stuff. Hopefully we're building with the right stuff, but it is possible to build stuff on top of that foundation that doesn't endure, that doesn't survive the fires of judgment. So the question I gotta ask you, and you should ask yourself is, there are really two of them. Are you actually becoming like Jesus? Are you building things in your life that are like him that are gonna endure because that will be compatible with the foundation? Or are you building stuff that's, I'm gonna be like me or I'm gonna be like the culture or like TikTok says I should be or whatever? Are you building with something that's compatible to King Jesus or something else? So are you becoming more like Jesus? And here's the second question you need to ask yourself. Are you influencing others for him? Are you influencing others? One of the greatest things, I think the greatest rewards that people will receive are those who are influencing other people for Christ. And I think of people whose names we probably never know. They could be here in the States. I think a lot of them have served overseas, probably a lot of our missionaries. And I can, I can see some faces, and if I said some of the names, you wouldn't even know who those people were. But I, I, I'll be willing to bet that some of those people that spent years and years out on the field, those are gonna be the ones that when they stand up, God looks at them and says, now that was well done. You walked with me, you became like me, and you tried to bring others to me. Very well done. I think that we need to be thinking about those things. What am I doing with my life? What am I building on that foundation? Because listen, I know that there, of all the people in this room, I know that there are a number of people, yep, you are living for Jesus and building on that foundation. But I know there are others of you, and as soon as I said it, you knew that there are things in your life that are not compatible with the foundation of Jesus. And you knew that you needed to change those things. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you about that. Are you becoming like him? And built on that, are you helping other people to become like him? Because we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And listen, there's another judgment seat that scripture talks about that we're gonna get to, and you wanna rescue people so that they're not at that judgment seat. Are you becoming like him? Are you bringing other people to him? That's number 10. All right, let's jump on to number 11. So there's a judgment seat for believers, but it's a place of reward. But then there's this amazing, awesome picture that God gives us, and that is the marriage supper of the Lamb. In Revelation 19, verses 7 through 9, we're not going to read all these passages of Scripture where stuff's being talked about because we would be here all day. But that's in Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Listen, Scripture pictures Jesus as a groom and us, his people, as a bride. Now, this is a wedding celebration for the ages. Y'all know what it's like to plan a wedding, and y'all spend unbelievable amounts of money on your wedding. You got your dress, which is probably, I don't know how much it, 800, 1,000, however much they pay, I don't know. Um, I know how much our wedding was, which was ridiculous, almost 30 years ago. 
But you all spend a lot of money on your, your wedding celebrations, and that's okay. That's great. It's an amazing celebration, and you've got the, the food that you, you give at the, at the reception and all of that stuff, but all that stuff is just a shadow of something greater. Remember last week, Pastor Sam was talking about, will there be sex in heaven? And there are a whole lot of people who got on the edge of their seats when he said that. And he talked about, you know, is there going to be sex in heaven? Is there going to be sex in the new heaven and new earth? Well, there was... God said, be fruitful and multiply before sin ever came along. So if, if the new heavens, new earth is going to be like Eden, well, maybe that'll be in the new heavens and new earth too. And so he kind of talked about that and, and, and he said something very wise, which was this, that sexual intimacy that God gives to us in marriage is penultimate. It is not ultimate. It is looking forward to something that is the ultimate, the relationship that a husband and a wife have, which is the most intimate relationship you can have on this earth. That is just a shadow of the relationship that we have with the Lord. You read Ephesians chapter five, Paul's writing and he talks about what a mystery it is, the relationship between a husband and a wife, that somehow it's reflecting the relationship between Jesus and his people. It is the ultimate marriage relationship and this is the ultimate fulfillment of that marriage relationship right here is this wedding supper of the Lamb. And all God's people from all of the ages, can you imagine the celebration together? Not just people I know in the here and now, but Abraham and Moses and some of those people who I want to, I got some questions about some of the things they did, some of the things that they lived through. How did you experience? It's going to be amazing to share those stories. The greatest thing we will share is God's redemption in our lives. We will celebrate what he's done in us and through us. The saints of all the ages celebrating together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's a picture of what's going on in heaven. But what's happening on earth? Let's jump down to that section right there. What's going on in the earth, if that's what's happening in heaven? Well, number 12 is the great tribulation. Matthew 24 speaks of a time of great tribulation. And the reality is that tribulation has been happening since the beginning uh, of Jesus' ministry. When Jesus ministered on the earth, he was already telling his people, you can expect tribulation. Anyone who lives godly, anyone who follows me, you can expect that there's going to be tribulation and suffering. It's been going on for a long time. But it seems like scripture is telling us that there is a crescendo and a time of great tribulation that will be coming. Now, some believers on earth right now would say to us, what are you talking about a future great tribulation? We're in tribulation right now. Now, there's some believers in different places that they're regularly giving their lives. As a matter of fact, I think it's accurate to say, if I, if I remember my stats correctly, that more people gave their lives for Jesus in the 20th century alone than in all the previous centuries combined. Now, here we are living in the United States. We're not giving our lives for the, for the faith. Not yet. Not right now. Don't know if that's going to happen or not. But I will tell you that there are people around the world that are walking with Jesus, our brothers and sisters, and they're giving their lives. And when we talk about great tribulation, I can remember one time an election had happened, and I can't remember if it involved courts or whoever it was, but there's some kind of a political thing that happened, and a person I was interacting with didn't like who won, and oh, it's going to mean this, and it's going to mean that, and can you believe, oh, it's got to be getting close to, to Jesus coming back because so-and-so won an election. And I'm thinking to myself, there are pastors in some parts of the world that are being taken out and getting shot in the back of the head for their faith. And you're worried because the wrong person got elected. God's not focused on what's happening in the United States. He's got a whole people all around the world. And some of our brethren, they're suffering the ultimate, they're paying the ultimate price, even right now. And if they're going through that now, can you imagine what a crescendo of tribulation is going to be like? The horror, the trouble that's going to be part of that. Great tribulation, though, the great thing about that is that doesn't stop the grace of God. Even in the midst of tribulation, even in the midst of the presence of the, presence of the Spirit of Antichrist, doesn't stop the grace of God at all. Even in the context of tribulation, there will be people who will, because the Holy Spirit's going to be at work, will be saying yes to Jesus. And it's in this period that Scripture talks about an antichrist figure that will come on the scene, animated by Satan himself. And the reality is, is that scripture tells us the spirit of antichrist is already at work. That spirit has been at work in the history of all of God's people. It's already been at work. And scripture tells us that many antichrists have come and gone. First John 2.18 says, Dear children, the last hour is here. 
This was in the first century that they're writing. The last hour is here. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. That spirit and those types of people have been around forever, but there's going to be a crescendo that happens. Now, just think of different people throughout history that you could, could compare this to. Think of somebody like an evil Adolf Hitler. When Hitler first came on the scene, if you know your history, they thought he was the solution. They thought he was the answer. He had the political answers that they wanted. He was going to make things right for the people of Germany. He was going to fix their economy. He was going to do all this stuff, and it was going to be wonderful. What they did not know was that spirit was animating him. And instead, he became wicked and vile and evil and a destroyer and a murderer. That's the spirit of Antichrist writ large. Now imagine that spirit, that same stuff, resident in another person who is called the man of lawlessness. Can you imagine what that will be like? It's somebody who wants to appear like they've got the ant. They want to appear like Jesus. But that's not what's animating them. That's not what's motivating them. And eventually... This Antichrist figure, like every other one has done, creates a totalitarian system. And probably, you know, it talks about not being able to buy or sell. Just, but what this is really about, I, I would love you not to focus as much on Mark of the Beast stuff. Now, I know the scripture talks about Mark of the Beast and the mark on the forehead and the hands and so forth. And we actually do have the ability technologically to do that kind of stuff. I know it. Uh, but the reality is, is I'm more concerned about what's behind that. Because the people who, who are marked in that way are people whose allegiance is not to the Lamb. The la and I love the picture of Jesus in Revelation as the Lamb. 34 times in Revelation is referred to as the Lamb. It's this great picture of this beast on the one hand and this gentle Lamb on the other hand. But there's coming a day when the gentle Lamb is going to roar like a beastly lion and take out this beast. That day is coming. So you have this antichrist figure, and can you imagine how evil that's going to be? But this stuff has been on the scene already, and the question is, will people who in that time period, in the midst of tribulation, will the believers who walk with him, will they have hearts allegiant to the lamb, or will they change their allegiance to the beast? And I think we, we read this passage of scripture a lot of times and we think, boy, that's revelation. That's got to be off in the future. And I would never take a mark like that. But can I tell you something? The reality is, is even in this time frame, even in the absence of that man of lawlessness ruling over everything, we still can have hearts that aren't allegiant to the lamb, but are allegiant to the world system. They can still be allegiant to the, to the world demonically inspired empire. They really can. And I know that it's true. Because I look around and I see what goes on in the lives of people. When we were doing New Year's Eve service, going from 2020 into 2021, uh, the whole COVID thing was going on, so we all couldn't be together all the time. I think we did something online, and we did a, the New Year's Eve service, and Pastor Sam and I, he preached a message, and then we were just talking with one another through what he had spoken, and we were talking about how we really felt that the days ahead were gonna bring a separation of people, that there were gonna be some people that you never thought would walk away from their faith they are gonna walk away from, from being faithful to Jesus. That people, it would surprise you. Leaders, people in this, in this house, people that you know that you thought wouldn't always be faithful. We were just talking about, and it was based on the passage of scripture we were talking about that says, where Paul's writing, it says, I'm afraid that just like Eve, the serpent will deceive you and that you will be led away from your pure and simple devotion to Christ. And I know we read Revelation 13 and we think, I would never take any kind of a mark like that. But the reality is, we can kind of take that kind of mark in our hearts right now. We can still have that allegiance to everything but the Lamb. And we cannot do that. We've got to be people now who are allegiant to the Lamb. If I, if I, I don't have to live through this stuff, but I can, still be, I can still be animated by that same spirit. And I think it calls us to examine ourselves. That we need to... To, to figure out, man, am I allegiant to the world system? Am I allegiant to something else other than King Jesus? Because I can push it off in the future and think I won't be here for something. That's another time, another place. Boy, I would never do that, but yet you're doing it right now in a different time, but in the same way, following the same kind of an antichrist spirit. And listen, can I encourage you with one more thing? Stop trying to figure out who the antichrist figure is, okay? Stop. Stop, stop, stop. Don't worry about every blood moon that you see. Okay, 
I know they write books about blood moons and there's all kind of stuff out there. Don't worry about all that stuff. Don't try to figure out where it's going to come from, what it's going to look like, who it's going to be. You're wasting your energy. Focus on the real Christ, not the anti-Christ. Okay? Just focus on him. Because it is amazing how you become like what you focus on. You become like that. There was a famous, uh, I won't say his name, was a theologian in the 1970s. He wanted to write about demonic and deliverance stuff and whatnot. And he eventually amassed the biggest library of occult stuff that anybody had had. Presumably with the idea that he was going to be writing about it from a Christian's perspective. He was a theologian, good theologian. But what he had focused on, eventually he became like. I'm not saying he jumped into the occult, but his life fell apart. His marriage fell apart. Everything fell apart because what he was focused on is what he became like. So don't focus on the anti-Christ. Focus on the Christ, and you will be like him. And then you'll be able to discern the spirit of anti-Christ no matter where it is because you're focused on the real thing. All right. So in this time of tribulation, you've got this man of lawlessness who is just running rampant and totalitarian. And then there is this, there's the thinking is that he's going to make an alliance with Israel. And isn't it amazing how everything seems to focus on Israel and God's people? And listen, I know that the scripture talks about how, how Israel had said no to the Messiah. And so there's been a partial hardening and that allows us Gentiles to be able to come in and receive redemption. But there's coming a day, there's still promises for the, for the Jewish people. There's going to be a big turning that comes to him and so forth. And isn't it amazing how everything seems to always center around that part of the globe? Scripture calls Jerusalem, in the King James Version, a cup of trembling. I think that is such a great line because it's so true. And listen, I know not everything that Israel does is perfect. I know that the, there are many of them have said no to Jesus, but there's coming a day when many of them will turn. And I, I know that, but there's something about that people and a focus on God's promises to them that this figure may make an alliance with Israel but he's got a different motivation going on. And number 13, there is an abomination of desolation. We're going to speed up here. Abomination of desolation. If he makes a, a treaty with Israel, he's going to break that covenant with Israel. Daniel 9, 27 says this, the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven but after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. Listen, this will not be the first time that something like this has happened. In like 167 BC, there was a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to... to to gather everybody into his kingdom and make everybody move around Greek culture and so forth. And so what he did was he wanted to push the Jews down as much as he possibly could. He said, you couldn't worship on the Sabbath. You, cannot, you can no longer do a circumcision. If you're caught with the book of the law, you could be executed. And he actually sacrifices swine on the altar in the temple. That is the focal point of God's presence among his people. That is the picture that when they see the temple, they know God is with us. We have his presence. And that's what Antiochus Epiphany does way back then. And listen, this man of lawlessness forthcoming wants to destroy the place of God's presence and pollute the worship of his followers. That's what he wants to do. He wants to declare himself God, desecrate everything about the real Christ, and declare himself to be God. And then once that is said, there's all these amazing pictures of, of judgment that we're going to go through, and we're going to go through them very quickly. There are going to be seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls. And listen, when you read this, if you just experience one set of these seven, it's enough like humanity's done. And the pictures that we get, are they're just so awful. I just want to rehearse them for you. We don't have time to read all the scriptures. You can read those on your own. But Revelation 6 through 8 talks about these seven seals and judgments. And listen, in your brochure, or your brochure shows them as happening, at some happening in the first half of this tribulation period, some happening in the second, and so forth. But the first one of these, y'all have heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Well, the first of these, uh, is this is part of it. 
So the seven seals, the first one, there's the white horse that's released. So that's a picture of this Antichrist figure conquering with bringing false peace. Uh, the second one is the red horse. The red horse gets released. That, that speaks of war. And the actual line is that people should slay one another. I mean, imagine a time of judgment like this where you've got, you've got ultimate lawlessness led by a man of lawlessness. You've got constant war, war like you've not seen before. Uh, people at each other like you haven't seen before. Then there's the black horse speaking of famine, uh, just worldwide famine stuff. I mean, we've got famines that happen now. But just the ultimate utter lack of food. And then there's the pale horse, the fourth one. And that speaks of death. And you're going to notice a common theme in all these pictures of judgment here, these seals and bulls and stuff. There's a common theme I'm going to point out at the end. This pale horse speaks of death uh, because it says it's been given authority over a quarter of the earth. Imagine, in the con imagine like 25% of the planet dying. Can you imagine how traumatic something like that would be? And it speaks of being given authority to do that kind of stuff. And then there's this fifth seal that's opened. And it focuses in on martyrs. And these martyrs are saying, God, when are you going to bring justice on the earth? When are you going to bring justice for what happened to us and is happening to other people? But they're told that they, as they're crying out for justice that they've got to wait because there's still more that are going to be giving their lives for the cause of Christ. There's still more martyrs to come. And then the seventh seal talks about cosmic disturbances, like, like volcanoes. And you saw what happened in Hawaii recently. You know, that there was just burning. Just think of how bad that is. But imagine if there's earthly stuff, tumults like that, what that would be like. Uh, asteroids, meteor showers. And then it speaks of the seventh seal that comes with this massive earthquake and leads into these bowls and, and trumpets and stuff. So that was the seven seals. And just this massive picture of horror that comes on the scene. But then there's these seven trumpets in Revelation 8 and 9. And it talks about a third of the vegetation being destroyed by hail and fire. And, and a third of the oceans polluted. It talks about this great mountain burning with fire being thrown into the sea. And, and how the water is going to just kind of be like, like blood. And it could, be, it could be something that's perfectly natural that happens in the, in the oceans, or it could be literal blood. There's, there's fresh water that gets polluted in trumpet number three. In trumpet number four, it talks about celestial bodies being reduced by their intensity. Imagine the light of the celestial bodies just fading. And then the, the fifth trumpet, locusts from the bottomless pit released. The sixth trumpet, a demonic invasion and again, given authority to wipe out a third of humankind. But then the seventh trumpet talks about Christ and his kingdom being announced. I love in the midst of all of this judgment scenes, how Revelation eleven fifteen says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And this amazing picture of all this judgment, and yet in the middle of it, it's don't forget, King Jesus is going to triumph. No matter what you see, King Jesus is going to triumph. And then there's these other events in the last part of the tribulation that are written about. And it talks about these two witnesses. And there's a lot of conjecture about what these two witnesses are. Who are these? What are they? Uh, but we know that they're empowered to preach God's message, to declare this message. And uh, some think it may be Moses or Elijah. We, we don't know for sure exactly, but it's this really mysterious picture and it, it talks about them being killed and then resurrected and the whole world being able to see this. It talks about a couple other things. I'm going to speed up just a little bit because they're not blanks for you. But, but, but then I want to focus in on the great prostitute in Revelation 17 because you've got these pictures of witnesses that are going on and witnesses for Jesus, the uh, people in the tribulation who are going out and witnessing on his behalf. But then there's this Revelation 17 that I just want to look at a little bit. This represents, the great prostitute that's mentioned, represents religious Babylon and encompasses all false religions. This mystery Babylon will have great political and religious power and will be used by the Antichrist and will persecute and kill people devoted to Jesus. That's what this great prostitute, this picture of this great harlot does. 
And when you read Matthew 24, 24, it talks about the very elect almost being deceived. In a time of tribulation, people who have turned to the Lamb almost being deceived. But the truth of the matter is that many of us can be deceived right now. And I keep saying that over and over because it's so easy for us to read this kind of stuff and push it all off into the future. And yet the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of the great harlot, the spirit of Babylon can be active right in our midst and we can be allegiant to it and not to the lamb. And then there's these seven bowls that get, really, that, that get uh, referenced in Revelation 16, poured out on those who are allegiant to the beast. That's who these judgments are focused on. And there's seven of them again, and there, there are sores that break out, boils, just open sores. Do some of these things remind you of something else you ever read in Scripture? We're talking about trumpets and seals and bowls and all that. Does it take you back to Exodus? Remember there was 10 plagues that went on, and they don't like exactly mirror the plagues, but some of them sound awfully similar. Well, what happened after all of those plagues? God delivered his people. So when you read this, Take your mind back to Exodus just a little bit. Then there's number two, the seas turning to blood. Just imagine the moist coagulation of blood in the waters and how gross that is. And can you imagine the blood that, that Pharaoh had to, had to see back in Exodus? But imagine what it will look like now. Can you imagine walking to beautiful Lake Michigan and it's just filled with blood? There's water that gets turned to blood, fresh water. Uh, there's scorching heat, the sun burning humankind and it talks about darkness and pain and great earthquakes. But then Revelation 16, 18 talks about there coming flashes of lightning, a thunder and a severe earthquake like nothing that's ever hit before. Those, and here's the interesting part, those allegiant to the beast in the midst of all of these judgments don't turn to the lamb. As a matter of fact, they hate the lamb all the more. You know, the reality is, is I think that when people stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I'm not talking about believers, I'm talking about unbelievers, I don't think most of them are going to be regretting. I don't think most of them are going to be like, man, I should have. I think most of them are going to shake their fist one more time in the face of a righteous God. That's what I really think is going to happen. That's what those allegiant to the beast behave like. In this time, even in the midst of judgment, that's how they behave. But at the end of all of this judgment stuff, the thing we're looking forward to, just like in Exodus, God comes to deliver his people, Jesus coming from heaven. And that's where we see this battle of Armageddon that's coming on the scene. So let's go to number 14, the second coming. The second coming, and there are passages of scripture up here that I think they may put up. I don't know, Zechariah 14, 4 through 9, Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Listen, when Jesus came to the earth the first time and walked, uh, he came as a suffering servant. But this time he comes to the earth as the roaring lamb, the warring Messiah that Israel actually was looking for the first time that he came. And listen, the evil kings of the earth may try to war against Jesus, uh, but we have number 15, the Battle of Armageddon, Revelation 19, 17 through 21. And I know I'm moving fast, but time's getting away from us. This is not going to be a battle. This is not like two titans fighting. There's one titan, and that's King Jesus, okay? So he destroys everybody that's come against his people, and he ultimately conquers. It is nothing but a one-sided war. It is just a bloodbath. That's what it is. And that's the battle of Armageddon. And then we're going to jump to Act 3. After all of the, think of what we've had. We have had tribulation. We have had amazing, crazy, mysterious judgment stuff. We've had this figure of lawlessness that's on the scene, just destroying. And listen, I said there was a theme in all of those judgments. Did you, did you notice that almost at the end of every one, it was all about the destruction of mankind? See, from the beginning, since humanity fell, that's been Satan's goal, is the destruction of you. He knows he can't hurt God. He seemed to have hurt God at the cross, and so but he knows he can't ultimately hurt God. His way to get at God is to get at you, because you bear the image of God. And if he can destroy you, that's the closest thing he can do to get to hurting God. That's the theme in all of those judgments. So when you're living your life and you're not allegiant to the lamb, just know that the one you're allegiant to wants to destroy you. 
And the thing that he puts in front of you that you think you like ultimately becomes your destruction. All right, let's go to the act three. Number 16, the thousand year millennium. This is found in Revelation 20 verses one through four. After Jesus conquers, then there's a thousand years of peace and we rule and reign with Christ on earth. You say, Pastor Kerry, what does that look like? What does that mean? I don't know exactly, okay? But I would rather be a ruler and a reigner than not a ruler and a reigner. We get to rule and reign with him. Satan is bound for a thousand years, released briefly at the end of this, of this millennial period. And uh, he again tries to foment a rebellion against God, which is nothing but a suicide attempt. And ultimately, he is destroyed by fire. Everything evil is destroyed. And number 17, at that point, we have the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. This is not a place of reward like believers in Jesus get. Okay, this is not. Satan and, and his demons are cast into the lake of fire for continual torment. And this is the final judgment on all unbelievers, the unrighteous dead and their bodies being yielded up. They're the ones who have all their thoughts, all their actions, all their words judged. And this is the point where I think some of them will just shake their fists one more time at God. They're becoming everything that they wanted to be in this life. They rejected God all their lives and it's one last chance. Even though they're being told they are guilty, it is one last chance for them just to shake their fists at him, at the great white throne judgment. And listen, you have the opportunity to keep people from experiencing that. You have the opportunity to do that. As those allegiant to the lamb, you need to be drawing people to the lamb as best you can so that they don't have to endure that. What a horrible moment that will be. And in number 18 is the lake of fire. Nobody wants to experience such torment. Nobody wants to be separate. And listen, like I said, I think what it's going to be like is this separation completely from God. I know there are pictures in the New Testament uh, where Pastor Sam talked about it, the rich man in Dives and, the, and the, the guy in Abraham's bosom. And would you please bring some water because it's so hot and I'm suffering so much. Understand that there may be some that feel kind of like that. But I think that the, the growth of wickedness will just increase and increase. Just as in the presence of God, I get to appreciate for eternity his excellencies. On the other side of the ledger, there are those that just become more of what they've always been in that place of the lake of fire. But then in 19, we have the renovation of the earth with fire. 2 Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements will disappear in fire and the earth and everything in it will be found to deserve judgment. God is going to purify his creation. What the serpent stained and sullied, what sin has polluted, God is going to purify his creation completely. And then number 20, we have new heaven and new earth. 2 Peter 3.13 says, in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And 21, the perfect age. In these last two acts, we've been focused a lot on judgment and wild and crazy stuff, but we've moved finally to the perfect age. Eden, all over again, what God designed from the very beginning, he's going to bring back one more time. And listen, like Pastor Sam said, you're not going to float on clouds being fat little cherubs playing harps. That in heaven, that's not the new heavens and new earth. Remember that comic he put up there? Man, I should have brought a magazine. Y'all be thinking, man, I should have brought my iPhone or whatever the latest video game is. I don't know. You know but it's not going to be fat cherubs on clouds playing harps. It's going to be this earth in bodies that are completely redeemed and made new. Right? And there's going to be no more sickness, no more colds, all right? no more COVID masks. And I won't have to do one more funeral. Not one more. Ah. I know where they go is great, but I sure don't like, in the last month and a half or so, I've, done, I've buried three people. And they've all been good because they've been faithful followers of Jesus. And I know they're experiencing the reward of their faith. 
but I won't have to do another one of those. No more death, no more dying. In new heavens and new earth, I'm gonna be six foot six. Glory to God. Wait, how tall is Gordon? Six eight? I'm gonna be six nine. Come on. Man, that's the perfect age. Can you imagine being able to enjoy the beauty of God's creation? I don't know exactly what it's all gonna look like, but can you just imagine every night being able to enjoy just something like Lake Michigan? Just the, the being able to enjoy everything that he created us for, the relationships that we'll have with one another. If they're this great on planet Earth uh, in, the, in the context of sin, just imagine what they'll be like in the absence of sin. We don't have to watch Fox News or CNN anymore and hear about uh, all the crazy stuff that people do. It'll be complete peace. That's what we get to look forward to. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, you get to experience that. So what should be our response to all this? I got one passage of scripture to read. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 10. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. You need to be people of prayer. Prayer for you and God's work in you, but also praying for other people. Verse eight, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. The end of all things is near. He does not say, so focus on it and constantly be watching the news and be updating your calendar so that you can know exactly what's gonna happen. He didn't say that at all. He says, be sober people. Don't be, don't be mindless. Don't be acting like, like people who don't know what's going on. Be sober, but for the purpose of praying and for having a loving relationship with one another because we are, our relationship with each other is what's gonna keep us faithful to him. And then we can watch for his appearing. I usually say it this way, love God, love people, and live ready. And if you focus on just doing those things, then you'll be doing what he wants you to do. And I really want you too to focus in on remembering that great white throne judgment seat. You do not want people to stand before God and shake their fist at him or hear him say, you did nothing with anything, with every opportunity I gave you, so you don't get to be in my presence forever. You make the difference in people's lives. You know what our mission statement is here at Grand Rapids First? Bring people to Christ and equipping them to be like him. That's what we need to be all about. First, you all need to be like him so that you can be a reflection to the rest of the world.